This episode is brought to you by Roundtable Group, the experts on experts. We've been connecting attorneys with experts for over 25 years. Find out more at roundtablegroup.com. Welcome to Discussions at the Roundtable. I'm your host, Noah Balmer. Today, Professor Daniel Spolber is joining me. Professor Spolber is the Eleanor Hobbs Professor of International Business and Professor of Strategy at the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University, where he's taught since 1990. Uh, Professor Spolber is an accomplished, award-winning economist and author. He serves as an expert witness and consultant on a broad range of topics, including IP, antitrust, technology, and more, with a, uh, a large number of diverse clients, including the Federal Trade Commission, the Federal Communications Commission, and others too numerous to list. Dr. Spolber, Professor Spolber, thank you so much for joining me here today. Thanks, Noah. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. And uh, please call me Dan. All right, Dan. Uh, let's jump into it. So I see that you have been on an, uh, uh, an economics track since your undergraduate days. Uh, has economics always kind of been your passion? Well, uh, it's been my interest since uh, the end of undergrad. But I, I kind of fought it for a number of years, and then finally I took a course uh, late in my uh, undergraduate stay at Michigan, and uh, I, I've never looked back. I, I found it fascinating, and uh, I, I've stayed with it uh, all along. You've also been an educator for a really long time. How did you get into that? So uh, I confess that my uh, father was a professor as well, and uh, I, I guess the, the I grew up in a university town, Bloomington, Indiana. So I, I kind of always been around the university and I fell into teaching and started teaching. And it's been about 45 years now. Wow. A uh, good run of it, huh? Yeah, I guess so. I, I love to teach and I hope to be able to continue teaching uh, if I can. And so uh, I, I do enjoy it. Uh, while we're on the topic of your early career, let's talk about uh, the first time you're contacted to be an expert. It's funny, a previous guest who was first engaged as an expert in the early 90s mentioned that they didn't even realize that paid expert witnesses were even a thing when they're first contacted. <laughs> so, so, tell me about your uh, your first engagement. Uh, so I my first engagement, uh, as I recall, had to do with uh, utilities. It was an electric utility case. And as it turned out, uh, that helped spark, I, I don't know, pun intended, helped spark my <laughs> in, uh, in electric utilities and natural gas and energy in general. And uh, what I found uh, in consulting is that it, it's always helped me learn more about industries. And uh, at the same time, learning more about industries helped me in consulting. And so this got me started in a lifelong interest in regulated industries and uh, uh, that naturally led to additional consulting uh, in, in a variety of uh, regulated industries, including not just energy, but telecommunications, postal services, and so on. So I would say that uh, beginning in consulting was a, a great gift really to me in in my career because it helped stimulate my research interest and at the same time learning about industries was helpful to to understanding the various subjects when was this so this would have been uh, my first uh, during my uh, first academic appointment i started at brown university that was my first job and uh, when I got to Brown University, 
I guess there was a need for teaching there because they started to assign me uh, half of their catalog. Uh, I was teaching wow. regulated industries. Uh, I, I started teaching environmental economics, energy economics, intermediate microeconomics, industrial organization, and other courses. And, <laughs> right in the uh, deep end, huh? Yeah, I was thrown into the deep end, and uh, I think that helped me in the end because I, I learned a, a lot of different subjects, and, and that was helpful for consulting, uh, as I say. Uh, knowing a variety of subjects was helpful for consulting, and, and as I mentioned earlier, the, the feedback from learning about uh, industries and consulting was very helpful to uh, understanding the subjects I was teaching. How was your uh, in that first early experience? How was your preparation? Did uh, did you feel well prepared for either? Were you in a courtroom sit, set, uh, setting, or was it just a report? I think I started writing reports. Uh, okay, I've also uh, early on. I not only wrote reports for myself as an expert, but I helped write reports for some other experts who who will remain anonymous. <laughs> uh, and so I, I learned uh, that way as well. I worked for some uh, consulting companies and I helped craft some of the economic analysis in some reports that, that were presented in uh, court and in regulatory agencies. And so that was very helpful uh, to me later on as I started to present my own reports. Um, did you and so is just your experience, obviously. Um, but the uh, your as far as preparation goes, uh, you know, is there anything that helps? Is there anything that uh, lawyers, for instance, can help do to um, make it make your job easier to kind of set what it is that exactly is expected of you and uh, how they want it, when they want it, how long it should be, all of that kind of mechanical stuff. Uh, what makes you feel um, more prepared and able to do your job? Well, I think a lot of it falls on the expert, uh, but there's also some ways that uh, counsel can be helpful. Uh, I think it's really important, as, as you probably know, to get the complaint and then to get additional material. You don't want to be uh, making decisions on, on the basis of a minimal amount of material. I, I would say the most important thing that I've learned, if I had to pick one, is this. Don't jump to conclusions. <laughs> that, that's a danger. In other words, you're presented with a, a, a case, a, a matter, some question, and uh, we have a tendency, I think, experts may have a tendency to, to think you know the answer, to, to jump to conclusions, as I said. So what's helpful is to obtain as much data as possible and start to uh, review the data and to obtain the necessary legal documents, start to review those legal documents. And then when you've gotten up to speed on the case, then, only then, to begin to form conclusions, and uh, and so so that's my my the most important thing I've learned. Don't jump to conclusions immediately, but take your time. Learn about the industry if you don't know the details. Review the the necessary documents and review the data. And counsel can be helpful here because uh, I found that counsel really knows. Uh, the the industry they really know the case they have a great depth of knowledge 
And so it's important to tap into that knowledge and, and be open to it and, and let them uh, provide you with the information, get some of the data if you can from councils, and certainly they have the documents. And then, of course, you go on to gather your own data and uh, start to, to form your own conclusions. Dan, when you talk about data gathering, what kind of strategies do you use for that? Are you just simply doing basic searches? Are you doing uh, LexisNexis kind of work, Westlaw, something like that? That's an excellent question. So uh, times have changed. Uh, <laughs> I think in, in the past, you could get away with a, a, a theoretical argument. Now, my my main training and my a lot of my work is economic theory. And so uh, I'm sympathetic uh, to theory, and, and I think theory is really important. But the big change that's happened in law is that people are getting tired of the purely theoretical argument, and they want to see some data. They want to see some in-depth analysis of the data, and uh, if possible, some empirical work using the data in a, in a rigorous fashion. And I, I think that People are demanding that today, and that's a good thing. I think it's a great development. And here again, I've learned a lot. Um, theoretical analysis uh, is informed by understanding the industry and by data, so you need it to, to reason properly. But also, I would add in defense of theory that uh, it really helps when you're looking for data and starting to analyze the data. In other words, don't just go out there and say, hey, get me some data, but rather sure. you have some ideas, some questions, some insights, some modeling, and then uh, you will be better informed as you seek to find data. Um, have you ever found yourself in, uh, you know, difficult situations, either in cross-examination or dealing with opposing counsel or anything like that, where you've had to kind of keep a cool head and uh, keep your wits about you? Well, the... The frank answer to that is every time, because uh, it's particularly in deposition, uh, but in 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 uh, hearings as well. Uh, of course, it's it's the role of counsel to to find out what you want to say, but also sometimes to throw you off your game a little bit. Uh, I, I tend not to get thrown by that. I'm pretty calm. And uh, even though I'm calm with you today, you may not know, but I'm also calm if people are uh, pushing me or, or or trying to throw me off. It it just uh, I'm used to it for some reason, or it, it doesn't doesn't affect me. And I, I I think my advice here is to what I say: stop, look, and listen. Stop talking for a moment. Look at the uh, council if they're asking you a question. Listen to what they're saying. Maybe take a break uh, and, and formulate an answer rather than uh, trying to talk over somebody or, or interrupt them and, and uh, or give an immediate answer. Now, people tell me, sometimes lately I've gotten uh, uh, all kinds of conflicting advice, sometimes from the same person. They'll tell you, answer right away. It shows you're confident, but take your time and wait a little bit after. <laughs> getting the question i thought well i can't do both but i think the <laughs> i think the better advice is uh to to give it a little bit of a pause uh as you formulate an answer it it's good i think it's good to answer quickly but not too quickly because you have to have time to 
to give a coherent answer and not just go on impulse. Uh, some of the other guests that I've had on say that uh, what's important is to not give more information than is asked. Is that also your assessment? I think that's that's good advice. In other words, you don't need to volunteer information. Uh, in a deposition, as you know, um, people are trying to find out what you are going to say, not just poke holes in, in your ideas, but they, they uh, genuinely want to know what you're going to say later. And so uh, you, you don't need to, to, to volunteer too much. On the other hand, uh, it, it's important to, uh, to give people something because otherwise you don't get anywhere sure. in the discussion. And I think it helps if it's a bit of a conversation. And so uh, it's not a hide the ball, it's not, not the game. It's, it's to be very clear and precise and really answer the, the question that's being asked, not the question that, that you think uh, uh, they should be asking. I, I always get a kick out, out of it. This is not in law, but on, on uh, TV sometimes you watch a news show and people are often asking themselves questions. They, they don't answer the question they're being asked, which is irritating. And then they say, I think the question is, and then they ask themselves a question and they go, and the answer is yes or, or no or whatever it is. And I thought, wait, who's the who's interviewing here? It, it should be the interviewer, not the guest should in, shouldn't interview themselves. And that's probably good advice for, for experts too, is, uh, we should answer the question being asked if we can and answer a, as honestly and accurately as possible rather than to pose questions to ourselves. But it, it's a temp it's tempting, I guess. And you were saying, you know, how, how important it is to be prepared, uh, you know, for all of this. My my question is, you know, you're you're an economist. That's an extremely broad topic. And there's an even larger legal framework around it. And it's constantly changing. And it's different depending on who's engaging you and where you go, or if you're even, you know, talking to somebody in the United States. How do you remain an expert in such a dynamic field? And that's a wonderful question. So um, I try to keep up. And so every single day, uh, seven days a week, I get up in the morning and I read papers. And uh, I'm reading news, of course. I follow the news. I'm reading law news as well. Uh, and in between, I'm reading papers in the field. And uh, I, I'm reading papers in economics. I'm giving a lecture next week. And I am reading papers from 2023. And I will sure. be presenting some of those papers that people have written, including my own work, as part of my lecture. So I think there's no substitute for keeping up and being informed. Now, I edit a journal, so that forces me to read hundreds of papers per year anyway, if you can imagine the number. And then I, I used to host conferences. I, I'm not doing that anymore, but I would read hundreds of papers for the conferences people um, made fun of me some, from time to time. And they say, why are you reading all of these? But I, I think it's very difficult. The profession moves on. It doesn't seem that way. For the outside observer, economics looks like a glacier. In other words, it goes maybe a half inch or two every year. But the truth is that the profession is moving on quite swiftly. 
people are, there's a, not just one or two economists, there are thousands of economists that are thinking and writing and talking and meeting with each other. You can't follow it all, but you have to try to keep up day to day. And so I think it is important to, to keep up and it's not easy, and, uh, uh, but it does take some effort. And uh, so I'm proud that I make the effort to keep up with the profession with the, with the caveat that the, you can't get it all. There's a lot of it out there. I mean, be, between all of that, between the journals and the writing and the teaching and co consulting, before we wrap up, I'd like to ask you a little bit about time management. Like, how do you even start? Do you use any tools? Do you use a specific calendar app or software or something to keep everything together? Uh, that's a great question. I, I don't know the answer to that. I, I, <laughs> the best, I, I mean, my I'd like to give you a good answer. The best thing I can say is this, uh, I have a hard time uh, doing uh, multitasking. So so that may seem in conflict with what I just told you, but but it's not. And so that means I tend to focus on one thing at a time. And so that may be the answer to your question. How, what's the best advice? So if I'm writing something, I, I tend to be very focused on the, the thing. If I'm writing a consulting report, uh, or preparing for a deposition or preparing for testimony, I find that it's important to work on that thing in some depth, not try to do 10 things in one day or even five things in one day, but just to try and do one thing at a time, even take a few days and focus on that one thing rather than jumping around back and forth. And it's the same for academic work. It helps me to stay focused on one thing. Uh, my son is a great multitasker. He's able to do five or six things simultaneously. And I admire that. But uh, for me, I guess I'm limited in bandwidth. And so I tend to focus on one thing. Well, it seems like you're doing a great job. Dan, thank you so much for joining me today on Discussions at the Roundtable. It has been enlightening and a lot of fun. Thanks, Noah. It's a pleasure talking to you today. Cheers. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Discussions at Roundtable. Our show notes are available on our website, roundtablegroup.com. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening apps. 